Hello and welcome to Chronic Correlations. This is your host Fiona and Danny. Please know our podcast is for information only and to please seek medical advice from your registered medical professional. And on today's show we have Lex and how are you today Lex? Hi I'm doing well thanks for having me. No, you're more than welcome. Um, like we said previously, um, me and Danny, you know, your type of experience, your case, your family history, really interesting. So can you just tell us a bit more about yourself or the people listening in the audience, please? Yeah, so I guess I'll share uh, like a bit about what my diagnostic journey has been like. And so in doing that, I guess I have to talk a lot about uh, like also the health journey of my identical twin, um, because really, I don't think my like EDS journey and treatment would have like really gone the same without like uh, without them having like had their diagnostic journey first. Um, so when we were in high school was when my identical twin and it's, it's a little funny, right? Cause it's a genetic disorder, but yeah, my identical twin, um, became really symptomatic, like at the end of high school and like all throughout college, uh, and ran down the street a little bit and tore both their Achilles tendons, like within the first couple of steps, um, so that was like the first sign that there was like something really, really wrong with like our connective tissue. Um, and so throughout college was when my twin was really symptomatic and I had POTS all throughout college and would faint occasionally. And um, we kind of thought like POTS was my problem and Ehlers-Danlos like joint related pain was their problem, um, which like in retrospect is silly thinking about how we know they're comorbid that we really both struggled with, with both. But um, that was just sort of different things presenting differently at the time. Uh, so eventually my twin gets to see a geneticist and they do the genetic testing for all the different kinds of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, and got like the variant of unknown significance. So um you know, after like all these years of like searching for, for an answer, like they figured out it was hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos. So thankfully when I became really symptomatic myself, uh, we had sort of my identical twins medical journey and like backstory to lean on as like, uh, like a case study and kind of an example. Um, so I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm really privileged that I didn't have to face as much of like the gaslighting that I know a lot of patients do because I did have that kind of like working like uh, in my favor in a sense. But um, obviously it was still really challenging. Like it was years, a couple years after college when like my chronic illness set in at its worst um, and my ribs started dislocating and that was really painful. Um, and that was when it became like abundantly clear right that like oh yes I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome as well I don't have just pods like if my ribs are dislocating <laughs> too um and yeah I mean I think like a whole a whole host of other things like head injuries and other traumas have definitely been like things that have uh impacted my health and like made things go go wonky I'm sure that's something that um you both are familiar with as well <laughs> But. Yeah, we were both very familiar with all the things you've just said. Ribs, I, uh, we spoke before about my ribs, haven't we, Lex? And uh, the funny things my ribs do. Yeah. Um, in, in the same way as yourself. I'm, I'm just curious, did you have genetic testing or just your twin? Did you, no, just, just my get? twin right now. Mm. Like, so I go to like Penn Medicine. I live in Philadelphia. And so like right now, like I literally couldn't even see a geneticist for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome in my state if I tried. Oh, like, really? Yes. They just like won't like they won't accept Ehlers-Danlos patients. Oh, Why so? I would imagine it has to do with like the medical politics of like the vague HEDS criteria and I think a lot a lot of doctors I'm not sure what the training and education like is in England I know that the like EDS society is based in England right so they're in the UK or something so maybe the education is better than it is in the United States but I've found a lot of doctors just don't feel competent or capable of treating HEDS patients uh so they like don't 
I mean, mean I, I've, I've, you... I've been in situations where I can't get treatment where I live, Lex. Um, I put stuff on my social media because I've had refusal letters where they refuse to see me because my government and my health board don't deem that the current treatment that is offered in the health system here in the UK is effective. Um, so they don't think it works and they don't think it's cost effective because of the cost that's involved either. So, well, so I can't get any help either. Cost effective when we're not like fixable, right? <laughs> Well, again, I, I mean, I, me and Fee have talked about this before, Fee, haven't we? How a whole genome is likely more cost effective in the long run well, rather yeah. than doing a genetic panel anyway. I mean, um, to explain it to you, Lex, so, I mean, we talked about previously your sister had a VUS, but you haven't had the testing. Right. Now, I had a VUS. Now, the thing is, is what's really interesting with my one is I had it done at, several different genetic labs the same one okay even though i had a bunch of clinical reports and clinical data supported by geneticist data and rnas okay and the vus was actually likely pathogenic right so from that point one lab without an rna test said it was a likely pathogenic because they looked at the literature and the publications one said it was a VUS, okay, and then with the support of RNA testing, then they made it likely pathogenic. So even with them two labs alone, before you go into the third one, you can see the difference in reporting depending on what they use, which is why it's really important when it comes to genetics, people speak, you know, with the right medical professional and, mm -hmm. for example, geneticists as well. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this as well there, Lex, but there were certain genes moved off to connect a tissue panel onto other panels where these particular genes have been noted since the 1980s to have Ehlers-Danlos-like symptoms. Yeah. So from that point, if they've been removed off the panel, you know, that's why from our research, we can only just say our research, we right. feel that whole genome is important yeah. to cover because everything. Because if you're not on a panel and you're not even testing for it, then you're not going to know, are you? You know, you've got, yeah. goes, you've got to be in it to win it. And if you're not even testing for, the, for some of these VUSs that, you know, uh, like your sister and Fiona have had in theirs, then we're not going to know. Um, and the panels are very, um, I think there's currently two panels, aren't there, Fee? Um, yeah, I mean, possible? to give you an idea here, when you generally, in, this is only in the UK, they normally do a vasculopathy panel with a connective tissue disorder panel, okay? But... To give you an idea of prices there, Lex, okay, in the UK, for a connective tissue panel, which is around, you know, the 30s, 40s genes type of thing, um, you're looking at between 2000 to 3000 pound. Do you know what that is in, like, US dollars? Oh, I mean, like, in US dollars, I mean, you're probably talking about four and a half thousand. Four and a half thousand dollars. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Okay, but... In the UK, you can get a whole genome done for 3000 <laughs> okay? So when you look at costs and when you can't, even like Danny will say, even to get a geneticist in the NHS here, you're waiting years. If you pay privately, yeah. you'll probably see them in weeks, but the cost there, as you can see already, is high. Not many people can afford that. Yeah. You know, if yeah. that's being realistic, if they don't have insurance, um, right. like private insurance in right. the UK, but, you know, I think it's hard because, like you say, there's a lot of people that don't have the knowledge when it comes to heads, okay? Or they don't they don't have the right pathways in the area, like Danny was saying. You know, so it's difficult to get the right treatment like you and Danny have been describing. So, uh, my, so my question to you is how have you and your sister been coping getting the right treatment? Well, I mean, I think it's sort of like uh the right treatment that you can get within the current system right yeah. um totally and agree. i think like a lot of the things that you and danny like are looking into is like really really important research and like really good questions right and um i think where you're at is like, a little bit ahead of like the science and the research in a sense because i feel like 
a lot of the world is at just hypermobile patients getting believed for their pain in the first place, like, let alone like, okay, like what really is HEDS and is it like epigenetic or is like what, right? Like that's like a whole, a whole higher level that, um, you guys are thinking at that, like, I, I don't think most patients have like the privilege to be able to, uh, think about. Right. So I think like, I mean, at least to me as a, I don't know, semi-responsible patient who's trying to do all the things, right? Like in the U.S. at least, it looks like having a, a GP like that you talk to who, you know, kind of knows very little but cares very much and catches and reads all the notes from your different specialists and then, you know... I, I, be like a cardiologist, a neurologist, a blah, like a, like a every ologist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all, you know, working on separate different components. And um, I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's helping. I'm not sure if it's hurting either. I think like at first I was really just glad to be believed. Um, although I'm not sure that like much has come of it. Like, yeah. I- yeah the validation is good isn't it when you've got the validation you feel better in yourself because you then know that you're not going crazier in your own brain however it's very very um can do besides because when you when you know that there's just nothing that they can do for you i.e it's just either antidepressants painkillers right like antidepressants are gonna like (laughs) yeah they're like a standard treatment for anybody who goes in and says they feel they they don't feel great. They're tired all the time. They tell them they're depressed. I have had, I'm, I've had multiple conversations with my physicians who, and I say to them, I'm, yeah, I'm not unhappy with my life. I'm not depressed. Don't get me wrong. I'm a little bit peeved at times because I want to be able to do things and my body doesn't allow me to do it. But I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm depressed and unhappy as such if you do, do you see what i mean i i don't feel having like an emotionally like sad or depressed reaction to a very validly depressing situation is different than being clinically depressed exactly. you know exactly. like that's not My point. And, however when you're left in that situation for a long period of time you will eventually become clinically depressed oh absolutely because, i mean because it, because, yes because the pain the, the vicious cycle of feeling of hopelessness yeah that no matter what you do yeah. You, oh, yeah. Uh, or you, like you said, you have periods where where you haven't gone to see like a gastro specialist because you feel a bit better, but then ultimately you come back round to the same circle again, don't you? So it's like a wax and wane, and yep. the, and, the, <laughs> and the anxiety and the stress levels and all those are the same in the same circle, aren't they? Because it, yeah, and then diet comes into that because when you don't feel great, you don't eat. People don't eat healthy foods when they don't feel great. That's what they should be doing is giving themselves certain nutrients to fight certain things. But what we do do is because we don't feel well, it's easier in today's society to grab something quick, easy, um, processed. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, doesn't that all kind of come down to, like, the system, right, that, like, we're forced to live within that, like, doesn't exactly make it easy for patients with chronic illnesses? Doesn't, certainly um, doesn't. No, it's, it's very difficult now, isn't it? Because yeah. Western society and diet is every every corner you look on there's a fast food outlet you can order food or fast food 24 7 it's harder to order fresh food you know uh healthy food 24 oh, 7 totally totally but, I mean, but you could probably like, get a burger at three in the yeah, morning you yeah. know <laughs> yeah like from an ecological perspective it's it makes it really hard for uh like sick people to become well uh mm-hmm. I, like it's 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 yeah and it's healthy hard. food is very expensive organic food is expensive yeah. compared oh, yeah. to yeah. Uh, grains and uh, if you think cereal is cheap, grains are cheap, bread is cheap, they're, they're cheap staple foods, rice is cheap, that people, many, many wide communities are stained on, on a staple as grain and rice um, as a part of their staple diet, isn't it? Um, however, it doesn't contain all the nutrients that our body needs to, to run. You know, we need a certain balance in the body. And, and unfortunately, in today's society, it's becoming impossible because so many things affect that balance. Even working jobs, you know, working a night shift, it affects the balance of your nutrients because your body 
rip it, tries to repair overnight with cortisol right. yeah. yeah and things like that so if you work a night shift the body is the body clock is altered and you have got a gene called clock I don't know if you're aware of that <laughs> no there's a clock gene and it, it runs with a circadian rhythm so and, and again it's in this cycle of all the vitamins and nutrients that I'm talking about but so if you work nights those systems are affected yeah and then that then has a knock-on effect on other systems in the body because yeah. everything the, the body is amazing it is such a fine-tuned <laughs> and, and it's so clever in that it tries really really hard when things aren't right to make substitutions to keep going oh I know <laughs> but ultimately when you make a substitution it's, it's it's the same as anything else it's not quite the right thing that's going on so it doesn't quite work right in way tense muscles don't actually stabilize joints even though your body tries and ligaments are very important too ligaments tendons any all connective tissue i just wanted to go back to the pricing um, because when it comes to currency that's not my forte um but i did check it out for you there and it's two thousand four hundred and eleven dollars for free oh, yeah. so yeah. that's like totally not accessible to like most people no not really that's that's more than most people's monthly salary i'd yes. say on, on an average wage and disposable income does anybody have that on a disposable income yeah because here really? it's saying right now um let me just read it out to you so three thousand us dollars is two thousand four hundred and eleven pounds so really it's about four thousand dollars really What's the average yeah. UK UK weekly wage fee? Have a look at that. Well, the average UK wage is around 11, 11 pounds, isn't it, per hour on average, 10 to 11 pounds, depending on where you work. So if you consider that already there, Lex, how can the average person the average, afford that privately? The average monthly person take, probably takes home about 1,600 pounds a month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like thinking about, right, like Danny, you're saying all these things about like ecologically the world we live in, the food we eat, like the... Yeah air we're exposed to like how can it not make us sicker how do we have the tools we need to feel feel better and right fiona right like that's exactly the price or the cost of the tools that might help and you know how 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 realistic or accessible is that to many people and i you know i think about how a lot of people with eds have like really invisible struggles you know Mm -hmm. and how many of us are trying to work against our bodies to try to live like yeah. and survive in this world it is. it's like survival we're trying to survive literally most yeah. people are in survival mode and unfortunately when you're in survival mode anyway that is a heightened stress response yeah oh yeah constantly trying to survive which i mean we we all make adjustments we have i realized after many years i've hoovered at my home like vacuumed sat on the floor for many years i used to sit and scoot along on my bum because it was the easiest way and the, the least painful way for me to do that. I've realized now that no, most people don't do that. Most no. people just stand up and push it around the floor, you know, push it with their wrist. But I wasn't able to do that because, so for example, there's a very known, uh, well-known uh, vacuum cleaner in the UK. Fee begins with a D, ends in an N, yeah? Yeah. Um, they've got a handheld one, yeah, cordless. Looks fantastic. I can't use that. It's too top heavy. I can't take the weight in my wrist. <laughs> oh, I get that. I was really excited. That? I just got one of those vacuums that's like a robot that goes on his own. Oh, like yeah. the Samsung ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because yeah. I agree. It's the little it's the little things in life that people take for granted, like picking up your pasta and pouring it out to strain it, right? And like yeah. the weight of the saucepan with the water. My and the tiny pasta little wrist. Oh very, my god. Very heavy on your our tiny little wrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like bent like at a weird angle that it should not be. Like right. And it's yeah, these little things. It's I so like feel too you. Much, too much it's... mechanical load for our joint, isn't it? It's too heavy. Yeah. I mean there's little things all the time. And it's just funny you sharing about like you <laughs> sitting on the floor to vacuum makes me think of all the little things that I'm sure I do differently like throughout my day that I don't even realize. If, if I've ever straightened my hair, I sit on the floor again, I sit on the floor with my knees bent up and I have oh, to yeah. rest my rest my arms on my knees. I sit crisscross applesauce everywhere. I sit like that too. Like a small person. <laughs> <laughs> I sit with my I sit like a small person with my legs crossed as well like I'm sat in a school hall um, mm-hmm. on, in the UK you, you used to have to sit on the floor Fiona do you remember with your legs crossed in assembly yeah and if you were on the bench you were a senior yeah if you were on the bench you were a bit older but you used to have to sit on the floor but 
I still sit like that now and I sit like you that do. in work Lexi in my in my chair because and I've been told this my physiotherapist said it's because I'm naturally adjusting my posture I'm sitting myself upright and um naturally adjusting my back and trying yeah. to keep it from slouching because I've got um, my focus I mean let's be honest as well in the community as well you know, when you speak to people in the community, there's issues, you know, such as folate, isn't there, Danny? Um, B12, there are, yeah. vitamin D. B12 is very well documented as a deficiency uh, throughout the community. Um, vitamin D, as we said. And yes, there's a recent paper, which, uh, well, I say recent fee. We, we originally shared it, didn't we, with... Uh, no, we, we've shared it, yeah, we've shared it with multiple doctors and you yeah. shared it on the Instagram then, page, which yeah, people we can see. Yeah, we shared it with multiple doctors, actually, in 2022. Uh, it wasn't, I didn't share it on Instagram until a little while ago, but we've known about that paper for a while. Um, there hasn't really been any response, actually, is there, from... No, the I mean, there's been, there's, been no, there's been no response from the charities yet, has there? I mean, I haven't seen anything in regards to that paper, because as we can imagine, folate is common, isn't it? It's um, yeah. not a rare situation. Have you seen that paper, Lex? I have, yeah. I yeah. Try all the things that come out. I'm not sure I understand like all of the research that I read, but I do my best. Mm-hmm. That's good. At least you, you know, try. You know, and you're learning and you're trying to advocate for yourself, and that's important. You I know, mean, because folate deficiency. If I give you a little background on folate deficiency, so they, um, it was realised in about in about the mid '80s regarding folate and the importance in pregnancy yeah and that's when they started supplementing mothers with folic acid now the, it started the supplementation started it didn't really become more of a big thing until about until the early 90s um and then like i said they started supplementing mothers with folic acid which actually is not folate you know what we were saying about the substitutions well folic acid is not folate they, they, mm. yeah they, they're slightly different things so taking folic acid as Fiona will testify, because you yourself were folate deficient for many years, Fee? I mean, I can say currently there, Lex, um, I had severe issues with B12, folate, um, vitamin D, um, just, you know, your eye and your regular, should we call it um, EGF symptoms on your blood, ESR, like inflammation and CRP. And, um, you know, currently with my EDS rheumatologist, um, which is under the trial, that everyone can see on the Instagram, they've now regulated back to normal. Yes. With the Mediterranean diet. So, so Fiona's rheumatologist was supplementing her with folic acid for the last seven years after, after realising that she was folate deficient. So he was trying to treat her for that folate deficiency. Fiona's never corrected. And I just want to say there as well, yeah. There was also the vitamin D as well. And generally, yeah, what, what, will, what will happen, though, Danny, as we know, is generally long-term it gets put under the GP. We both know that. Um, yes, but, you know, from, yeah, for management purposes, which is what happened, and they couldn't correct it. But under this current trial, it's went back to normal. Um, my bloods are normal. My CRP is in normal range. My inflammation's gone. Um Folate's returned to normal levels because, you know, zinc controls the folate and B12 homeostatis and bit, and zinc is controlled, um, well, it runs the vitamin D receptor, the VDR. So when you look at all that, it's been, for me, you know, I can only speak for myself and everyone has to speak with their registered medical professional. It's been a game changer. You and, know, and I've, I think Lex may be interested to know as well, Fiona, that your pots has gone, hasn't it, my love? Yeah, I mentioned that to me too last time we spoke. That's yeah. and, That's... and 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 we, neither of us Lex we symptoms since we last spoke. Neither of us. Uh, no. Oh wow! I'm really like happy for you both that you've like mm-hmm. been able to like identify mechanisms in EDS that were able to be like so uh like like important and prevalent in like like symptom management and like that you've gotten better just from like supplemental things. You know, I think a lot of people get really hopeless about these sorts of things like that they're going to be like suffering for like their whole lives I definitely went through like a period of this that I got over but I broke my foot and it really 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 took like way longer than it should have to heal which can I ask a question what what part of your foot did you break oh I broke my fifth what is it like metatarsal metatarsal yeah Yeah. 
like my pinky toe bone yeah. in my foot. Yeah. yeah. So my my fifth metatarsal, they told me, is in about four bits. Yeah. 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 So it's in multiple bits, and I've got I've got pictures on my phone actually that I could send you now where I keep or or, or was have been breaking the metatarsals in my feet from walking. Uh, I've also had issues with the uh, cuboids, and I know you have a two feet. Yeah, previously correct. Yeah, yeah, and and my daughter too, the same. She keeps breaking the bones in her feet. She's had two Liz Frank injuries. She's only she's just turned eighteen, and over the last four years, she's done had two Liz Frank injuries where she's ruptured the cru- the ligaments and broken the metatarsals. Lex. Wow. Yeah. Just, just I guess bone to break if you have hypermobile feet, huh? Yeah. Just from walking on maybe a slightly uneven surface, yeah. that was. I like me broke the hell out of it really badly in multiple places. It and was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you think about it, you know, just by us talking together now, we yeah. can clearly see feet is a major part as well when it comes to EDS and hypermobility. Oh my gosh. And yeah. Well, if you think it, about your feet, girl, they take everything from our body. Exactly. The biomechanical load. Mm-hmm. But the point the being. Load. But Danny, the point being here is as well, and Lex as well, how many, um, you know, in, let me, let me word this correctly. <laughs> so how much information is put out there about feet when it comes to EDS and heads? Not much. I, I was going to say, like, uh, is is there any other than exactly. maybe you have flat feet or maybe you don't? I was going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, collapsing pat arches. Yeah, there isn't. Um, a I have neither that. flat feet nor high arches, but I could break my metatarsal super easily. So, you know, whatever that means, right? <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, in the club, Lex. Like... You're in the club. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm trying to prove here is there are certain things. No. Yeah. There are certain things which, you know, if you sit down and talk to the EGS community together, you create correlations which aren't commonly talked about. Well, you know, some, oh, yeah. something we spoke about earlier correlations before we um, start restart. Oh, yeah. We, we, we were talking about what I was going to say about the fact that you can't get any help where you are either, Lex. So you said well, you're under pen, was it? And you can't yeah. get any help for EDS, the same as I can't hear it's, where I am in Wales. Can't help. It's just that I can't see a geneticist. Like I have, like many other specialists who are helpful, who yeah. they, they, they basically have just um been like writing and calling it hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome without doing the testing because I think they know which departments are not going to be like supportive and which ones are mm-hmm. um but yeah that's it's that is disappointing to hear that it's like kind of universal that EDS patients are not being properly cared for do, do you think in your opinion Lex that it's quite common from the people that you know and the people around you and things do you think is actually quite a common thing absolutely I think most people in my life that I've heard of or talked to that have EDS or think that they do it's it's all self-diagnosis from stuff mm-hmm. that they've read from the internet which I have very mixed feelings about admittedly I mean we're people putting information on the internet right so mm-hmm. um yeah I mean and that's how that's like where you start and that's where you learn and like there's so much to it it's just yeah no but the but my point being most of it is anecdotal evidence in uh, anecdotal information mm-hmm. and not medical research and most like like most of the helpful information that I've gotten has been from peers online not yeah. doctors right like I think right is that like the point that we're like getting at like is the yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, actually between the community yeah um, I think we are our best resource at times um, each other because of our own experiences and our own knowledge and our own um, things that have happened to us, like the correlations, like we said, we've spoke, we've got quite a few things in common, haven't we, Lex, that we've had, that oh, we have the same things happen to us, but we've never met, we're on oh. different sides of the world, we grew up in, you know, different environments, but we're still ultimately ending up at the same pathways. Right, right, and and, and that's the thing, I mean, there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of comorbidities like that's that's like what Mm -hmm. like I I think uh, when we were sharing notes about what we might talk about today I said you know the elephant in the room being that like hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos isn't necessarily all that rare right but that's like 
like mostly anecdotal um but then you have heard of papers out out of wales have you lex yeah have you heard of the demner paper lex say more so I, I did put it with on the social media stuff with um, when I showed my refusal letter again. There's a paper that was written by Demler et al., which is Delta Echo Mike Mike Lima Echo Romeo. Yeah, Demler. And they found that the prevalence in Wales, where I live, was one in 500. Wow, that's really different. It is. And actually, Demler has been, I believe Fiona has done some work with the Norris Lab, with Russell Norris and Courtney. I think that um, there's been affiliations of uh, specifically people within the EGS world. Yeah. And I believe, again, I believe Courtney wrote a paper referencing that paper. Yeah, I felt uh, I, I believe there was a paper. Like her. Awesome. Like yeah. patients with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome that are going into doing research, uh, for us you know like that's where we're bridging the gap between the community providing all the support and all the knowledge and mm-hmm. the doctors not knowing anything like there, well, there are handfuls I, of us like courtney who's research we follow definitely i mean courtney yeah. um, again i find courtney's fascinating because courtney and my sister both have the crate and, and so do i actually but cranial instability oh um, i think i have yes. that too. yes <laughs> So I, I was reading one of my own reports earlier, actually, because I'm, I've got an appointment coming up for my own, uh, my myself, one of my, my, my checkups. So I was preparing some things to speak to my own rheumatologist about. Um, and I've got hi- a very hypermobile neck, as per my neurosurgeon's report. My sister has had um, a, a fusion, my sister has, she because she had a, yeah, she had C1, C2 fusion she has um and again her journey was awful you know and i know courtney has had issues with instability so again mm-hmm. we all that with a lot of people follow the same models now again pots and in- cranial instability go hand in hand they yeah. absolutely do um, yeah a lot of people in the community find that a lot of people don't realize that their neck is very very hypermobile i can put my the back of my head on my shoulders yeah i i yeah. really the other day because I I, uh, kissed my partner from a weird angle that my you know was in my hypermobile range of motion but was like not anything you should really do with your head and it got like stuck there uh, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have like the strength to like get it out of that like weird spot I'd contorted it into and Um, I I do things like um, if I'm led on the pillow sometimes and I adjust my head my I can hear it click inside my skull Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah. I hear my uh, my spine and my head That's crack it. more than yeah. my knuckles almost. It's pretty unsettling. Yeah, and me in the back of my neck. And mm-hmm. I mean, I've got I've got multiple issues in my spine and my neck. Like I said, I've got instability. I've got um, nerve root compression at C5 and C6. Um, I've got kyphosis. I've got um, lumbar lordosis. I've got uh, an annular fissure, I believe. I've got did, quite how a few long did it take, Like, how long did it take for, like, all of these things to get, like, noticed? Because I don't know if it's just being, like, like I'm 25 years old and my face looks extra young. Um, but I, I find that I really don't get believed for a lot of these things, right? And I'm, I'm like, quite certain I have craniocervical instability mm-hmm. and so is my physical therapist. And only she and I, like know this and believe it to be true and it's it's been the sort of thing where I've, I've tried to talk to neurologists and spine doctors and other people about it and um they don't even want to try to do like imaging for it because they basically were like well it's not going to change your treatment plan anyway mm-hmm. because you just need to do physical therapy anyway and basically because I'm I don't really want to get a like fusion anytime soon then no. they're like well we're not going to take a picture of it um and I, I find it like I've had one MRI of my cervical spine and that was years ago before I crashed my car and concussed myself most recently. Um, and yeah. like, you know, and, and, and that's like, and I'm like, but well, what about the rest of my spine? You know, like, so the whole thing yeah. is just a mess. So I'm just wondering. And, like, how again, uh, the, the, I found difficulty in that in the UK. I don't know what it's like there, but the spine is treated by three different doctors. Yeah. I, somebody deals with the top, the middle and the bottom. Oh, interesting. So if you had spinal surgery, you would need three different doctors who would do a different part each. Or you may get lucky and find one who deals with the top and the bottom and just need somebody to do the middle then, so you'd need two. 
if you're thinking about like hypermobility, like wouldn't someone's entire spine be affected, not just a- yes, thank you. But that's that's is, my point exactly. This is the, the whole point. I know there is a somebody in Cardiff where I live, yeah, looking at doing something called a movable fix, where it's a bit like a chain on a bicycle, where it's all linked together rather than doing a fusion, just one fusion at a time. Because when I spoke to the neurosurgeon myself, they said, obviously, yeah, when he, when he fix one, then it's going to change the mechanical loading right. of the rest anyway. Right. So, so yes, um, again surgery can is something that should be looked at uh, and lots I've, of implications to surgery shall we say especially when you potentially may have uh, osteoporosis type symptoms as part of this because a lot of people do suffer with osteoporosis and especially later in life um is found as a normal aging thing currently yeah associated <laughs> with vitamin d which again vit d is associated in the ellis danos community of low vitamin d levels and one thing I wanted to say in regards to, um, as Danny explained, it's all different areas. Now, the thing is, is EDS is multisystemic, okay? So the thing is, sometimes, you know, like when you get horses with blinkers, Lex, yeah? They have the blinders at the side. Yeah. yeah? So they will only look at that area and that's it. Okay. Right. Oh, I so know. really, the only truly systemic people, as in multisystemic in the medical field, are really endocrinologists or rheumatologists. Okay. <laughs> so when you look at actual physical medical fields as in a multisystemic aspect, they are the nearest ones. And then sometimes the problem that you have in the UK is one area won't talk to the other. Okay. So oh, if yeah. you yeah. if you need something done you know, and the other one doesn't talk to the other to say, okay, you can go ahead. You can be waiting years, can't you, Danny? Yeah, and I know, for example, in the UK, um, heads is dealt with under room. However, in Canada, there is a certain unit where it is the EDS and endocrinology department. EDS is dealt with under endocrinology in a certain hospital in Canada. I mean, this was just my experience, but when I saw a rheumatologist... They basically told me because I didn't have any specific autoimmune conditions that they could treat like that came up on their like it wasn't like a nameable, comfortable autoimmune condition. That However, so she- I would class the gut, your gut issues to be potentially they- an autoimmune condition. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if my gut issues are like mast cell related, but it's a whole like unexplored thing still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, because because HEDS seemed like not a specific enough autoimmune issue that she was comfortable treating. Then she like dropped me as a patient um, and basically was like, but if no one believes you, tell them to call me because I think you're very like medically complex was basically the thing. Um, I think anyway, that, that there's, was another, experience. <laughs> there's another thing to say here. Doctors have specialist interests, okay? So, for example, if I'm going, like, in the past, and even if I ever need to see one again, I always look up before I see them, like, what is their specialist interest, number one? Number two, do they know about EGS? And three, do they treat the conditions that I have? Because the point being is, if you look up a doctor, because they've got their own websites over here, under the NHS and Bupa and things like that, it may be different in the States, but... Generally, doctors would like to write a page about themselves, about their research interests, their specialist interests. And, you know, that's one thing I learned really quickly, you know, years ago when I got my original diagnosis in 2016. I thought, right, he doesn't understand EGS and he doesn't, you know, treat the symptoms that I have. So why do I need to go to him? I need a second opinion on someone who has that specialist interest. And that's sometimes half the battle as well. Oh, I think everyone learns that lesson the hard way too, Fiona, because I mean, like, again, like my twin and I had that same thing where we had to see the specialist of each variety that sort of didn't get it before we found like the cardiologist and the neurologist and the everyone that that did. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree. We did that, too. And I think that it's 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 like very true. And it sucks that it is because it puts like undue emotional labor on like the patient to do this like research to find a competent doctor when like theoretically right like shouldn't any doctor be competent to treat you like that's the point definitely (laughs) when when you go to a doctor you're under people are under the illusion that they understand everything that is wrong with you but they don't 
not true. No, it certainly isn't. Unfortunately, they don't. So, for example, I mean, it's it's becoming more known in the community, and there are more papers. The, the association between hypermobility and autism and ADHD, for example. Right. Yep. But which again, is all anecdotal like, uh, research. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, no, there are papers as well. Oh, um, are? Okay. Yeah, I guess yeah there, are de- there are papers out there um, with the association between hypermobility, but actually they're more papers written by the autism special charity. Right. Yep. So they've, they've seen more from the other side of the, the spectrum then, of the autism side, where they're looking in, that all these patients are actually hypermobile. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I, that's the whole um, thing that I think you know we is and i mean i i'm autistic i am um i again i hyper focus extensively i have terrible i executive functioning um i talk very fast at times um i couldn't organize i can't organize anything fiona's the opposite aren't you fee <laughs> quite literally um... fiona's the uh, the epitome of organization um to uh, but again to more of a an extreme level actually of organization yeah. So maybe... I really do you think anyone who has like Ellers Danlos or is hypermobile, like are any of us neurotypical? <laughs> Can we even be? <laughs> again, there there are lots of, you know, if you look at the whole again, that's what it's called, isn't it? It's a spectrum. spectrum. Of, it's a spectrum of disorder again. Right. A spectrum. Um on that spectrum can be anything from um uh dyslexia, yeah. Uh, it can be on that spectrum all the way up then to severe autistic traits, you know, um, we, we, and, and impairments. And but we're all somewhere again on depending on us, depending <laughs> on the genetic factors. Yeah. So, but it, there is a high prevalence in the community that, oh, again, of people that we've spoken to who are neurodivergent, shall we say, yes. uh, in, in some some way, even down to things like sound misophonia, with. Um, they find noises overwhelming they find smells overwhelming and they get chemical sensitivities from smells i do yeah yeah um which again then leads into sort of mast cell type reactions doesn't yeah, it yeah i was going to say i think that's yeah. that that yeah and we yeah. just keep sort of going round in a little circle of all these these issues that are all correlated and interlinked in some yeah. way or form uh, our personalities in this community um, you know, we all have very di- diverse personalities. We all seem to be very artistic and musical and yeah. creative. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And these um, are all things that I'm like, and, and colorful. No one talks colorful. about, right? Yeah. If you Google Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it's like bendy joints and soft skin, and it's like you have no idea. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. Google search is like it, it, it says nothing. Basically, right, people to... think we're a little bit bendy, don't they? Yeah. It, yeah, it's like yeah. we're uh, in chronic pain, very bendy, and the most artistically talented, beautiful people ever. What? <laughs> but no, no, I mean, really and we, we gravitate to each other as well. I find, I find we we, we oh, I can yeah. find the only people in the room who are like me, Lex. <laughs> oh know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I keep like having this thing where I'm like suddenly surprised by how many people reach out to me and talk to me and and tell me oh my god I think I have this because I'm pretty you know as you can tell I'm like really vocal about this stuff on social media mm-hmm. um and I'm like like I'm like I understand that it t- like they're all coming to me so to me it feels like a lot of people but like at the same time like it's not rare if I feel like a lot of people are responding to my but, thing and, and that's the same that it's exactly the same as me and Fee we yeah have, oh I'm sure so I mean much. that's probably how you got this whole podcast to be yeah. what it is we yeah. have so many people who approach us and uh, because again they see the same things happening in them and their family members and their friends yeah I, we've had people tell us that they've approached people and say to them we think you may have Hellas-Danos syndrome because I've just watched you do this this and this oh my yeah. god it's so hard in public I was it is physical therapist I saw uh, the little mermaid last night and the woman standing in line to get popcorn in front of me I I mean because I have pots right I could tell what it looks like when someone's struggling to stand in a line and I'm just like sitting there thinking we're in a post-covid world where everyone has pots and no one knows it yet 
And yeah. I'm looking around at all these dizzy people who can't tell <laughs> that they're dizzy. But I'm like, you're draped over like the uh, little refrigerator with water bottles and Gatorades because you're yeah. about to pass out, ma'am. And you don't have the language for it yet. And yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry. That was a tangent, but I'm sure you get it. <laughs> We do. Fee, Fee and I constantly look at people and analyse them, don't we, Fee, unfortunately? It's really weird because, like, I think once you've been through the process, I know it's, just, it's a really bad way to say it, but once you've had the experiences and you've seen it, you've seen the symptoms, you've seen the signs, you're like, uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I, you know, I've had, you know, I mean, if I look at my DMs probably in the last six months, I've had over 3,000 DMs, Wow! you know, of people just coming along saying, you know, about me and Danny's posts, about how they've been helpful to them. And we've already said they have to go to the medical professional, of course. But the point being is, is, you know, social media is a massive tool nowadays because people like, I mean, we've said it on multiple, you know, podcasts, Danny, but people turn into social media to get the support they need yeah. because they're not feeling they're getting that support. Right. And, and and that's the point we're we're doing things like this because people I couldn't get the support I had to go looking to find people like me and 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 make the correlations I spent years and years before I spent I, I spent years on my own um, researching I met me and Fee met about 18 months ago but prior to that we both sat doing just hours of our own research hours yeah. and hours of reading yes. the wrong with it. Most, most patients who have I think, you know, like, uh, as Fee said, like, kind of done the process or, like, gotten diagnosed and been treated have had to do that research yeah. themselves, right? Like, there's because no way to be ignorant. nowhere else to go. That's ignorant. right. You don't know where else to go, do you? And you? But you still, you can't imagine living the rest of your life in that way. So you can, you're going to continue searching for answers because that is human nature. That is curiosity. And I will also say this. I mean, with my family and their deaths with heads. So they all died of head symptoms mm-hmm. and very brain aneurysms blowing. Um, so basically they dropped dead, excuse me, I'm straight to the point of the autistic side. Um, but when you don't have time and some people say, wait five years, you will do things like read research, try to get answers to protect other people, oh, you yeah. know? Because the point being is, is when they say heads doesn't kill, um, I'm not right. being rude, but it's on my dad's death certificate. So I'm like, mm, I think you might be wrong on this. I think you need to relook at the research. And when I've been looking at the research even before I met Danny, till now when I've met Danny, like we explained, some genes have been removed from the connective tissue to other panels. You know, it's about looking at the bigger picture and trying to get the correlations to protect more families from my perspective because I, it's I like to pop in there fee on the note of of medical examiners yeah i have evidence from medical examiners and my cousin is a medical examiner to say that uh cause of death in all patients doesn't matter what they died of but ac- the actual cause of death is a nutritional deficiency. deficiency it's a nutritional deficiency ultimately Hmm. Any, it, any, if, any, whatever the cause of death is the ultimate cause realistically is a nutritional deficiency of some kind because when you look at it from when you know an aging process and you know deficiencies and how that can affect the body that's understandable the way you know the medical examiners are deeming that as well but I think what I was trying to say Danny is you know the amount of research we've read Mm-hmm. And I'm not being funny. Um, from my perspective, last year was very difficult in the sense for my family having to keep going to funerals. And when people say there is not evidence out there, I highly disagree because right. there's 128,000 medical publications of supportive evidence. And you know what? I, let, I don't want to see any further people pass with my family's head symptoms if I can try my best to help others and prevent it you know and give information to medical professionals like just that that like the hypermobile kind can have like fatal outcomes I think is not something that people 
Yes, again, it's it's highly associated with vascular pathies, isn't it? Exactly, right? Like, that's like the the fact we all learn when we're doing our EDS research. Um, Yeah, it's highly associated with vascular pathies. However, they they have been able to find a link between collagen 3 then, for example, which is your link to... Oh, they have actually in in some subtypes of heads, they have found a link to collagen 3, but it's not classed as VEDS. Right. It's slightly different. However, that would then indicate that it's a vascular pathy. I myself have had five, what they would class as vascular ruptures. I've had a bowel rupture. Right. I've had, oh, actually I've had six vascular ruptures. Um, I've had four pre-premature rupture of the fetal membranes, which are classed as a vascular rupture. And I've had a a spleen rupture. They are all classed as vascular ruptures. So vascular pathies, we all have problems with our veins, with blood pooling, with pop. With yeah, all, all the kinds are really similar in a lot of ways. I feel like, yes, um, I don't know, okay, so, fit into every subtype of heads, of yeah, EDS, like, like, like I, both this type and these different types. I could fit into all subtypes, I could. Do you think it's like better to have like an inclusive definition of like, you like, you know, like the whole um joint hypermobility spectrum disorder thing being like sort of separated from HEDS like what like what are your like thoughts about that like there um, are many connective tissue disorders that create hypermobile phenotypes should we say yeah and we have to be careful what we say yes I know Uh, all I yeah Yeah. all I will say is there are many (laughs) for example Marvin Marvin's is a connective tissue disorder yeah right right that was oh that was a thing when my twin got the genetic testing done it was we we have long like long arms, which is mm-hmm. one of the Marfan's traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but she did. Did she test for Marvin's? Yeah, which was negative. It was negative. There you right. go. But she, but she's quite tall compared to yourself, isn't she? Uh, no, we're the same. Well, Karina, actually, they're taller than I am, but we both have disproportionately long arms. Okay, are like, lumped in the HEDS category and don't have Marfan's except for. The arms so I have marvinoid features too, i.e. I have the positive thumb signs where I can put my thumbs out either side of my hands and I can cross over my thumb and my fingers. So, and that's a positive Marvin sign. And I have, I have got quite long, uh, very long fingers. However, so that, that, I'm like, not tall at all. I'm five foot five. There's so many connective tissue disorders and like yes. they're not all that different. And they, that's right. There's a quite a crossover again between those. Um, so, yeah, it's there's more of a, a spectrum then, shall we say, um, in this. Again, it is exactly what it is. There's a spectrum, certain pathways that end up at the same model of hypermobility then as you, as you said about covid patients they're getting pot symptoms they've also reported hypermobility lacks i don't know if you were aware of that like they're becoming more hypermobile they're becoming more yeah. hypermobile yes so that's horrifying yes then... so it's already been documented who's the paper wessels i believe wrote the paper fee wessels yep. it makes wessels perfect sense to me like it takes i mean for me i think the the like bodily trauma that like triggered a lot of uh the onset of my symptoms was my first concussion, right? But I know for many people, it's it just takes like a like a like a virus or something like that to okay, cause. So, so it, you would be classed as then a traumatic brain injury, really, wouldn't it? If you had a concussion. Oh my god! Oh, oh, that <laughs> so yeah. funny! I completely forgot to mention I have a whole history with hitting my head and that and how that relates to Ehlers Danlos problems and being bendy and oh my gosh, yeah, that's been yeah. a nightmare. So, yeah, and like you said about back viruses and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Certain things that will, may trigger, or they do, they trigger certain pathways. And then um, also not a lot of people realise, you know, pets can carry things like E. coli and things like that as well. And ticks. It, fleas, ticks. ticks. <coughs> yeah. So pets can carry, uh, cats, cats carry toxoplasmosis, for example. Um, and again, to... I think it's cat feces, for example, can spread toxoplasmosis in humans. Yeah. Toxoplasmosis, again, would cause, is a bacteria that would cause issues. Then, again, you've got other bacteria like COVID now, yeah, which, yeah. again, are, are causing havoc in the body. Then over, you've got, so my daughter's suffers with 
what they call croup or strep throat yeah um, symptoms until their late teenage years however it's, it's supposed to be a childhood illness number one but they suffered constantly with it with throat infections sore throat it's so funny me too <laughs> my whole childhood go. had a sore throat yep. so and again that's and more correlations more yeah, juicy yeah, again okay. if you think the, the about animals I, I see fine. you're a dog lover yeah we're dogs yep we are dogs carry bacteria they do they carry oh, bacteria um how many people, people that... yeah exactly so and that again people spread viruses so do animals yeah um, we live alongside lots of animals today as well in western society people keep lots of pets different varieties those pets carry bacteria unfortunately for us they do we love them to bits i've got two dogs yeah i mean so my like humans have always had animals right like have they always been pathogenic to us and have we just never cared like why is it like you know like pandemic causing problem causing now do you think i don't really know if again people i think people look at things in lots of different ways again there's lots of doctors who specialize in certain things like um, one of my faves, Dr. Todd Madeiris, I'll give him a little shout out. He studies um, Lyme disease, tick-borne diseases. Right. Correlations. He's got a model of um, what a chronic inflammatory response is and what, and what it does. Yeah. And ultimately it causes chronic fatigue and all these symptoms of chronic fatigue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lyme and, disease is experienced. Yeah. That yeah, just... again, so bacteria that we harbour in our bodies, again, when we talk about um, the different models in people, we're all ultimately exposed to different foods, but different bacteria too, depending on us and where the situations we put ourselves in, the environments we live in, where we work. Yeah, so people who live in houses with mould, mould's quite a big problem. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I lived in a house with mould that I think might have been attributable to like why I flared so badly that one year. The year that my ribs were dislocating was when it was ah, old. Again, that's there you go. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Not, not really that surprising. So again, when you're breathing in, and and we spoke earlier, we spoke to you, we spoke to a few people today, haven't we, Fee, regarding the wildfires that, that are affecting you guys at the moment. Yeah. Well, the air quality there for you guys. Again, you're breathing people walking in. around the city without masks on, yeah. and like, do you see the air? Like, what? yeah, the quality right now cannot be good with the top with the. The thing, you know, the fires, things yeah. that are being breathed in, they, they're ultimately going to cause lung damage. And then also, smoking wood. Smoking I just want to say, going back to the mould as well, you breathe it in because the particles go into the air. Yeah. So the point being is, is if you imagine if you're living in that environment, it has an inflammatory response. Can I just say to everybody listening that bleach does not kill mould? Okay? Bleach does not kill mould. White vinegar kills mould. Bleach just changes the colour of it and dyes the black to white so you can't see it. But if you want to kill mould... Wow, thank you for sharing. No problem. If you want to actually kill mould, you need to soak it in white vinegar because it ha- the acidity of the vinegar will kill that mould. The, the bleach and doesn't kill it. It will, grow, it will grow, but it will just be growing back underneath. And I would say this to people as well, to use special like type of protective equipment or to get a mould... Again, or speak to mold specialists as well. Bleach causes damage to your lungs too. It can burn the inner workings of your lungs. So breathing it in, you should be uh, in a very well ventilated room if you use any products like white vinegar or bleach. It should and be a very ventilated room. If you have any questions, you should speak to a professional regarding the removal of mold. Yeah. So, anyway... We have to start rounding this up, guys. So, Lex, I have two final questions for you. Okay. So, what is your hope for EDS in the future being your first question? Okay. I mean, I think what it, like, I think just awareness and understanding is, is really important and really crucial, right? Like, I feel like there are uh, sort of like you said, like the people that have gone through it or like, you know, the people close to us that understand this uh, sort of like little phenomenon with this like chronic illness type of individual, you know what I mean? But like, uh, yeah, I think more like a shift in just like the paradigm that we 
think about like disability and ability and illness like in would be like kind of my hope for EDS patients so that they would so my hope would be that the experience of people with EDS would be normalized then okay. and it would be just like you know like a standard predictable thing if you're like that way if that makes sense yeah that mm-hmm. makes total sense and the final question is, is where do you want to see improvements in care oh my gosh um <laughs> okay my opinion right now is that the current care structures put a lot of the onus for change on the sick patient which is not how healthcare should work. I know it's hard with chronic illnesses because it often requires significant lifestyle changes. But like we talked about at the beginning, like the socioeconomics of it, like a lot of people don't have the resources or the privilege to be able to access such things. And I think the whole like BS of like self-care is like a very individualistic, capitalistic and not community centered way of like healing um and so like i uh i don't know i mean i think what it really like like how i'm not quite sure i guess i guess more community care and the creation of community would be what we need because the like the idea of like saying like sick people with no resources who are already struggling you're doing xyz whole things what wrong with your life which is why you have these environmental ecological problems that were like done onto you more though so than you've like chosen them right like like i guess it's uh like community care is what eds needs because um the lifestyle changes that like i think the like radical care that our bodies might need at this point like can't you like no no one has the privilege to like do that you know like who can go to acupuncture once a week no one you know but like that might make you actually feel better um but i would love a world where people with eds could for example realistically get acupuncture once a week you know because that would that would be like the the like care focused like like vibe of like 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 lifestyle like that would be the Mm -hmm. lifestyle that would be the most beneficial and I think the lifestyle that uh like a spoon you know the spoony lifestyle of like like measuring your time it would be helpful to you know for for more like dietary advice then for example because a lot of people are not aware of what foods are healthy and what are not yeah I'm not sure I mean so this is where I'm like I'm not sure if it comes down to like I'm really good at naming big systemic problems and not how to fix them I you know I'm not sure it's like uh can I ask you for so much as like that? access to these can things I, in the first that's place. What I was gonna say so uh, from the basis of the human body can I ask you for example yeah. do you know where you get choline from in your diet I know very little my that's- only concern is to remember to eat enough protein because I'm a vegetarian that it, that's it. That so that that's the point I was trying to make is perhaps that a lot of people. I I myself up until a few years ago, I grew up eating the foods that my family ate, what I knew, what my friends ate, what my see regional foods were. Then you know traditional dishes, right? To my region and my area, but perhaps we should be looking more at what nutrients our bodies need to work and how we get them because yeah yeah you know so we we need choline in our diet for example okay we need a small amount of choline we need a small amount of a lot of vitamins and again having certain vitamins to excess is not good either you know it's a very fine balance so if you're eating too many of something again it's it's going to cause a deficiency in something else so maybe from my perspective like i said i think it's something we all should think about then yeah we we don't know enough and again we we're not educated enough because it's not our focus we didn't grow I didn't grow up and when I grew up I didn't study to be a dietitian when I first grew up, <laughs> if you see what I mean oh of um, course so we look at the food sources that are available to us in our areas in our regions like you said what's right. traditional which is something that's not equitably distributed like exactly. at all throughout the world you know it, it, yeah exactly that so you know there's a lot of based yeah rice-based diets are uh, in a lot of Asian countries for example yeah it can be a heavily rice-based diet whereas in the uk it's not so rice-based is it you know? right yeah yeah and, uh, and like your diet is very plant is plant-based yeah you have a vegetarian diet yeah so, so diet, 
<laughs> yes, but our dietary di- differences, look, again, we, we're all on a different spectrum then, again, on our dietary differences of the foods we eat, so where we're getting our nutritional things from. Yeah, but, yeah just my thoughts there. No, I mean, it's good to hear everyone's thoughts, and this is why we do this podcast, because everyone can say their opinions, say their thoughts, you know. I mean, even in this podcast alone today, we've made even correlations on feet, haven't we, for example? Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes to show just by talking as a community, you know, correlations can be found. And I just wanted to say, Lex, thank you very much for coming on our show today. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Um, our DMs are always open to you, so just oh, send me a DM, DM a message anytime. Yeah, I look forward to speaking <laughs> to you much more, Lex, in the future. You um, both are awesome. And I love that you do this podcast and all the research that you're doing. Keep sharing all those articles. Keep up the good work. Seriously, like, it's it's amazing. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So thank much. you. And, um, and thank you because you do your own advocacy, Lex. And, exactly. You know, you're, you're I do. I do. Oh, thank you for caring. It's kind of one of those things where I never know if I'm screaming into the void or if it actually helps people. <laughs> No, you know, I, well, I definitely have a look and I definitely, again, for my own interests as well and my own correlations, because I see things in you and I think I've seen that in this person and this person and this person. So, you know, we can't all be making these things up when we've never even spoken, you know, but yeah. they're all happening to us. And, and you know, it, it's something that we need to address, basically. And that's what we're looking at is, you know, the, the doctors are they're stressed they're overrun they haven't got the time yeah well I say they haven't got the time I mean me and Fee both work full-time yeah and we've got our own lives but we yeah, still we don't have the time either it's just more pertinent to us because we yeah. uh have we, the- we just, yeah exactly so <laughs> we, we have more of a special interest in it and more of a yeah um a focus on it then thanks Tom. and I think the thing is we also have to say you know it's sometimes you know even if you help one person it can you know change the world you know, Lex, um, even if that is just giving someone a talk, if they want a chat or something like that, or to be put in the correct direction for the correct professionals or yes. pathways. Sometimes um, it's just nice to have a vent to somebody who understands, yeah. isn't it, what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, but just thank you again there, Lex. Uh, yeah. But just for our listeners, just so you're aware again, our podcast is for information only and for any medical advice to please go to your uh, registered medical professional and thank you very much again Alex. it was lovely talking to you have a great evening well. um, yes. <laughs> even the time differences from you know oh. stateside to london go to um, sleep you both <laughs> <laughs> i think we will be heading that way but it's been lovely having you on and you take care everyone all right speak bye. soon Lex. take bye. care bye, bye.